this week on Retronauts. No, I'm sorry. Johnny's going to yell at me for that. Anyway, it's a mailbag episode. You guys already sent in the questions, so you know what it's going to be about. We're talking more first print stuff. We're talking where we cut off our collections time-wise. We're speculating who spends the most money on collector's quests. There's an entire So You Want to Collect episode in here. All that stuff. So go to iTunes and give us five stars, because we always ask that. And I guess let me figure out some music I could put here. I'm sorry, I don't know why I think this is funny. For the record, I couldn't find Area Codes by Ludacris in an 8-bit remix, so here's this instead. Welcome back to another episode of Collector's Quest. I'm Tyler, here with Johnny, here with Stefan. What's going on, guys? And I'll start the conversation if you want me to, but I'm going to wait for you to say hello first. Hello. Hi. I'm not going to start the conversation now. Why not? You just said I'm you I'm sorry. All right, let me, put in the choo- let me put in the, the choo-choo sound effect. So how about that Sonic 1 hype train, guys? Uh, of all the things we said, like... I think they take you seriously when you say things, Tyler, and I don't I don't know why. You should not be buying all the Sonics, everyone. I I loved so in in you know, Johnny and Tyler and I keep a Facebook chat going and I loved it when Johnny just like posted a shot of somebody who had bought a bunch of Sonics and he's like, I don't I don't know what's what's happening. What's going on right now? I don't what am I looking at? <laughs> It's very strange. And that obviously happened before we put out the show because there was that $1,200 sale, which makes no sense on Heritage Auctions. But there was at least one copy for sale on eBay before we put up the show. Now there are zero copies for sale, at least buy it now on eBay. And there's an auction going for $125. And I have to say, I've seen a bunch of disagreements on what the actual first print of Sonic 1 is because number one, who cares? Either way, we don't know which one it is. Why is this going for $125, Johnny? It's pure hype. Uh, It's probably just hype. Yeah, I think there's this like weird correlation between early on a console and important. Like people saw that Mario sale, right? And they're like, oh, well, that was, you know, first on the console, early on the console. So now everything that's early on a console is important. And People aren't stopping to think about a lot of these early games were just produced in such high volume um, that I, I, just like you guys, I just don't see the value in like hoarding copies of Sonic. There's just so many out there, you guys. Well, here, here, let me, let me defend some of this a little bit uh, because I think Genesis games, especially popular mass-produced games, unlike on the Nintendo or Super Nintendo, have been wildly underpriced. Remember when we did the auction show and I bought Sonics at like $10 each or something? Ridiculous, or $15? That's, yes, there are a lot of them, but for a game that is constantly going to sell, like complete in box, you know, that is one of the best games on the system or one of the most important, I do feel like $15 $15 is the wrong price. Like, I would expect that game to be $25, $35 
all day and sonic 2 same like for those to move up because the demand for them should always be great and it's a game that every collector should want to have in their collection just because it's important do i think 150 dollars or whatever is happening now is correct no but we're moving into a new world where we've talked about the the scale is shifting a little bit importance now you know keys or whatever like important games are kind of becoming the value train and like first editions, even though that's highly debatable and kind of makes me feel weird to even talk about first editions on video games or first prints. Uh, you know, it's moving the needle in a different direction from aside from just rare. Uh, Genesis has always been like a system that has been moving up in price slowly, but the stuff that's popular always kind of moved up, but it was like kind of the third party, uh, you know, splatterhouse threes and things like that and um all the renovation titles those were like kind of always moving up and and other shmups but now you finally like your sonic is is going to move up and that and that's that's good for the genesis as a whole like i said i don't necessarily agree with the prices that are going on but i, I will say that i i thought they've been underpriced for a little while yeah i i think i could agree that sonic is should be more than it is, but these are all being bought up by speculators, and so they are expecting to turn significant profits. And I just, I just, this, this smells like death of Superman to me. Like, well, I think, I, the hobby's always been driven by by some amount of speculation. That oh, that's always what it comes in. The minute something gets hot or someone thinks something's rare, like do you guys remember on Nintendo Age, anytime like uh, what's his name, Mike, Mike, whatever mornings with mike or whatever i forget uh, his youtube channel but he'd be with angry video gamer yeah, he'd post like a, a gem video right and then it would all just sell out and that wasn't because it was necessarily a hidden gem or anything that most of that was speculation and then the price memory sticks and you know they never really fully come back down even though even though there is some regression you know that so and that was a nintendo age you used to see it that you'd say something and then there'd be some speculation and people would buy it on Sega Age, when we were doing Sega CD, when we were doing the list, like because you don't understand how many people are just viewing rather than participating in the conversation. Whoever's participating, there's 20 times more people just outside with ears listening or eyes looking, I should say. And you would see, like, we talked about Radical Rex, and it went from a $50, game, $50 game to a $150 game in like a week. So, and that was speculation there wasn't that many people trying to go for sega cd sets and it wasn't like people were like you know the best system to play radical rex or even play radical rex is the sega cd so you know it we can't be mad at speculation purchases it it is a thing that has always been driving the hobby though people don't like it so i i said this uh when we did the the mario variants episode which was before video game madness video game madness 2019 i'll call it <laughs> um uh there were over 15 million copies of Sonic 1 sold in America and this is a very rough estimate. Um I went on JJ Games cuz eBay obviously is crazy right now. I don't think anyone ever buys anything from JJ Games. Shout out to JJ if you're listening. But uh about 10 to 15% of the copies he has were are black label copies. And he has a bunch. He has like over 20, maybe over 40. Sonic's a very common game obviously. So you are, I'm just you are throwing about out there to sell him out. <laughs> They're uh, they're all uh, card only copies, or oh, most okay. of them are anyway. Okay. But it's not like Black Label Sonic is. Um, I'll compare it to like Black Label Super Mario World, where that was like a cardboard box, 
and everybody got that as a pack-in or player's choice. I think there's a lot more Black Label Sonics out there. But I mean, we talked about how rarity isn't everything and demand matters a lot. I just, we keep kind of going to a more common thing when we're jumping on these hype trains, like sticker seal black box games. Like that's cardboard that only came out in a very limited market. Uh, They're old, like they're not the hardest thing to find, but they're not impossible to find. But there's a lot of reasons that they're rare and really desirable. And now we're moving on to a hard case game that got a nationwide release that there are probably over a million copies out there. I don't know. It seems a little crazy to me. I think, And also, I think that there are more important Nintendo games specifically that have not had the hype train. Like, I'm going to bleep that out so everyone wonders. what I'm I was going to say, well, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's fair, Tyler to some extent, more important. But Genesis is a whole system that has not had that kind of exposure yet, or enough exposure, and it should. I think, look, I'm a Super Nintendo guy, always have been, favorite system. You guys, have, if you haven't heard the episode, I tell you why it's very important to me. Most important system to me. I could throw everything away, and I would want to keep the Super Nintendo system. However, the Genesis at the time, like, people forget this thing went toe-to-toe with Super Nintendo and if it wasn't for the incompetency of Sega Japan, you know, it would have fared much better at the end. But they were neck and neck and even outselling Nintendo at at points. So, that, I mean, that says a lot about, like, where that system was. It had Nintendo on their heels for a little bit. So, and then, I mean, then they both, uh, you know, shot themselves in the face over over uh, CD systems and screwing over Sony. It's interesting how they created their their own uh, acts. They're like, ooh, what's this? Here's a knife. Let's sharpen it. Okay, I'm going to fall on it. And then uh, Nintendo's like, yeah, I'll fall on it too. That'll be great. Anyways, we haven't even talked about what the episode's about. Do we do we want to say anything more about the, the Sonic thing? Or we really we, don't need like, to say anything else about no. Sonic. Uh, okay. If you wanted a, a Black Label Sonic, you you missed your chance. Now you're going to have to wait for all these people to sell their copies, and then it'll probably come back down to like $40. No, I think I don't think that's true. I think you can just start looking at brick and mortars and oh, still find yeah. the regular deals. Like, it's just... Uh, Johnny and I were talking about this before the show. You know, there's a, a, a rift right now as to what's happening in brick and mortar versus what's happening online, and, there's a, and so you can still find your Black Label Sonics. Just go... Would you, go start walking maybe you would places. say that uh, one person could corner the online market, but you can't go around and buy up all of the retail copies of Sonic the Hedgehog that are yeah. everywhere across America? Right. And, Absolutely. And, and brick and mortar, they just can't keep up. Like, even if they wanted to, they couldn't keep up. They'd be repricing their games all day long. Or they would just, you know, not price them at all. And, you know, you just walk in don't and get sticker shock at the register. No, don't give them that idea. I hate that. I hate it when they sit there behind the counter and they look at eBay as you, when you're asking them how much a game is. It's the worst. That Stop doesn't that. really That doesn't really bother me only because, um, you know, most, like, if you buy Magic cards, that's, like, vaguely pretty much what they do now. And, that, and that's, like, just whatever. It would be the price flux is is so great on on magic cards though every day you know if you just priced them you would be doing it all day that would be your only job and it would be miserable. So all right, Tyler, what just we... to say like TCG mid. What are we actually talking about? 
I don't know what we're talking about. That's why we asked the viewers to tell us what we're talking about today. Oh, oh what a that was, great that transition was a hot that transition. was. Yeah. So we got a we got a bunch of messages on the Instagram from a whole bunch of people. Probably the most questions we've ever got, which is funny because the reason we did this is because Johnny wanted a short episode today. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, since you're listening to this and it says Collector's Quest Podcast as the title, you know it's not going to be a short episode. Okay, but yep. we can we can still have high content episodes that are short. It's just that we get on research episodes, we get wrapped up in research right before we record for like two hours. That's our problem. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I want to say just, well, Tyler, fight me real quick. Um, you think K through A is the first print on Sonic? Editors note: This is a joke made to a reference off air. It is very much not the first print. It was funny. I thought that the one, the one with some weird text at the bottom was so. Uh, VVG Club. He's the guy who posted like ten Sonics today. He said that K Thrower said the one with a bunch of white text all the way on the back bottom was the first print. And then another one of these like super high end reseller guys said, "Here's some Sonics I got. I don't know which one's the first print." And uh, I'm pretty sure it's up in the air which one is actually the first print. Yeah. Well. So hey, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. I no. I this was my segue on purpose. Okay. I, I saved it. Okay. Um, but you can go ahead and go into it. No, I was gonna say. So, so Johnny, we uh, that kind of leads us to our first question. In that, uh, Nerdy Girl Comics uh, asked us why we keep getting first print information on games wrong. Why? Okay. Why? Actually, there, there's a really good reason. So, you see how we just had this debate about Sonic. I, I think the way to check that would be what is Altered Beast was the first print Altered Beast has, but how would you even be able to tell that? It's not like we kept a running record back in the day. So if you were in the hobby 10 years ago, we didn't care about first prints. Some people maybe made some notes and we we said, okay, yeah, that, that might be the first one. But what we really talked about was variants, okay? That was all we kind of kept track of. Here's rare games, here's expensive games. Here's here's like mid-tier games. We weren't really like on board with, hey, these are first prints. That's definitely a comic book mentality that has only just started. So we it's not like we've been, you know, they say, oh, you guys have been collecting for a long time. How do you get it wrong? We get it wrong because that was just never our focus. It was never in our purview. And now we're like trying to get it. But there's debates. You have longtime collectors who don't actually know and are fighting about it, especially on the Genesis side, because that shit is not well documented. I can tell you as, you know, probably one of the very few people who've ever researched the Genesis deeply, it is, you know, the Genesis is a nightmare. Um, Nintendo has always had a horde of guys looking at it, so it's a little bit easier, but it's just super easy to get wrong. And it's not, there's not a lot of information and it's new information at times. At least to us, to us old, old collectors. Uh, you, I know you guys got thoughts on it as well, so please build on that. Yeah, I think for me, I just, I just didn't care. Nobody cared. Not, not nobody, but, but I certainly didn't. Like when I think about variants, when I'm putting together a set, I, I go one of two ways. Either I want all of the variants, like I did with Genesis, or all the, at least all the major variants, like I have all the, the cardboard and clamshell, that kind of thing, or I say, okay, these are all the variants for this game. 
which one is the most interesting to me or sometimes it's which one comes with the most content like for instance uh there's a star wars game on the original xbox that comes there is a variant that came with a miniature comic book and that was the one that was most interesting to me so when i got that one i actually traded off the other variant that i had because it wasn't the most interesting to me so it was never this like oh which one was first it was always which one did i feel was most interesting fair and i guess i'm in the same boat like we would keep track of variants to me it wasn't what was most interesting i was always interested in what was the rarest so there are the four rarest. variants the rarest there are four variants of compton's encyclopedia on sega cd i think there's four and the one with the black printed text i think is the rarest uh john there's can five. check me on that there's there's five, five? okay yeah. So the black you want the one with the black text because that's the coolest one to have. Like, who cares? Who cares what the first print of Compton's is? Johnny, do you know? You literally wrote the book on it. Um. Well, I I actually don't. Uh, because I'm not sure if it was released on shelf first or if it maybe it is only four. I think there is a variant on the point on the on the uh on the retail release. I'm gonna have to double check that. It's either four or five. So there's three that were not for resale and at least one that was the retail one, though. I think there's a variant, a slight variant of that, like a, a small, like revision upgrade. Um, but I don't know if the retail one came out before the pack in one came out, which came out um, with the XICD or at least was packed in uh, with a lot of those. So I'm not so sure the blue, like you can tell which one of those is first because they have points on them and i think the black one might actually be first because it's like version 1.0 2.0 and that's how you can you can tell on those so you could look at stuff like that and determine it if it's possible but even stuff like uh so left bros mario 3 i think on the flap there are like different codes on the flap that have to have something to do with print run but you know, if there's a major box change, like Nintendo of America limited changes from like an R to a TM or something, people can scientifically go back and figure out which one of those was first. But if there's a five digit code and it turns into like a different five digit code and then like a four digit code, like people might not know what that means. So for stuff that people have been looking into forever, specifically black box games, which are now super popular, like people have gotten really deep into print runs on that. I don't know if people got really deep into Pikmin on the GameCube. The first appearance of Pikmin, is there like some ultra secret first print run of Pikmin that people should be looking for? Or are we just going to care about black labels? Fine. I am not sure. And now I just hyped up Pikmin. Thank you, uh, Tyler. We're going to see that shoot up from $20 to $45 <laughs> next week. First print of Pikmin. I'm telling you guys. Well, I mean, if you are into this level of collecting any like major first party Nintendo game that came out, you know, these first appearances, because that's kind of what the world is moving at, uh, at least the collecting world. Um, you should be looking at those. And that's kind of another thing I wanted to point out the collecting world. And, and what we do here on collector's quest is we are a show focused towards collectors, as you guys know. So when the collecting scene moves or a, you know, a lens has been turned on something, we turn our, our focus there to at least be informed a little. And uh, so, yeah, with the first print stuff, like I said, this is a new change. So all these comic book people, and this is all the research they've put into it, is like, what are first prints? You guys are ahead of the curve on us. So if we get something wrong, look, 
don't feel bad. Correct me immediately. We're trying to get the info right for as many people listening as possible. So uh, don't feel bad about shooting me a DM and saying, Johnny, you suck. You got this wrong. Um, so yeah, hey, do it. Hey, Johnny. Speaking of yeah. which, I think you owe a correction on Final Fantasy VII. I do. And uh, so does like most of the internet, just like as an FYI. And this is literally something I've believed for the past, I don't know, 15 years on Final Fantasy, that the floating eyes, the first print, and it's actually the realistic violence one. Uh, so the floating eye is a second print. It's weird that they would get a typography like error in the second print of games. But uh, yeah, they did. So that is a correction. Thank you, Nerdy Girl Comics. I went and I looked, and I'm like, no, all these sources that I normally look at for first print have the floating eye. And then I looked a little bit harder, and then I was like, oh, no, no, I, I, here's a picture of mine that I bought on release day. And then I looked at the one that I know is still my release copy. Sure enough, I was incorrect. Realistic yeah, so violence. So thank you again to Nerdy Girl Comics. I know when she posed this question, it was a little bit more tongue-in-cheek snarky, uh, but we actually pulled some uh, poignant conversation out of it. So it was it was good that she asked. Yep. Cool. Cool. Next question. Hey, Tyler, can you discuss the collectability of PC titles and how those prices compare to the game's later console releases? Oh my God, I totally misread this question. I thought it was in general about... PC collecting versus uh, console collecting. I didn't realize he was talking about the same games. Sorry, h- how how often do you see that, though, where it comes out on console afterward? Well, that All used to be time? normal. Yeah, that used yeah. to be the norm. Huh. Consoles, yeah. like there's Console games are ports. Shut up, Stefan. That's well, <laughs> like, now, nowadays, well, I think what he means is nowadays, like, on new tier games, like, they'll be made and then pushed out to, like, PC, like, Batman Arkham Asylum and stuff. Like, sure. that stuff, like, moved over later. Or, or hey, Final Fantasy Seven, or all the Tomb Raiders. Okay, but Jerick. for the most part, like computer games used to be, like consoles would have to wait for computers to catch up, or or uh, co- PC games would have to wait for consoles to catch up, and then they poured a bunch of like five year old PC games into uh, consoles. Right, Tyler. There's That's no how way. it used to be. I, I refuse to believe that. Hold on, I don't want to get you this wrong. Refuse to believe what? I was going to say I refuse to believe that uh, the PC version of Tomb Raider came out after the PlayStation One. Oh, absolutely! Uh, it was a simultaneous I, launch. So. Then I will sit here and wait for you. The to uh, PlayStation One's a shitty port because every console game is a shitty port before like the very modern era where everything is just the same anyway. Because you have to have sure. the game running at HD on like a real system before you cut it down to make it a PlayStation game or an SNES game. But so. I think you should answer this in a more generic term because obviously we didn't do the research to answer it more succinctly. But well, um, so the thing about PC games or a lot of PC games is like there's so many of them that people can't buy all of them, and this kind of goes into it generically too. But if there's a super rare release on a console, almost nothing goes for over a hundred dollars on PC unless it's one of these really collectible Sierra Lucas Arts in software type games. So I've said this on the show before. The beautiful thing about PC collecting is you can't buy everything. It spans multiple decades, like what, 1970s to today. And if you even focus on a single genre, you just can't have anything. It's it's cost prohibitive. It's space prohibitive. It's even like research prohibitive. And every game has like four different variants because PC big boxes are out of the crazy. They're gross. 
Yeah, I think that's why you see so many PC collectors that are just super hyper focused on a publisher or on a genre, right? So like, oh, I just want all of the LucasArts point and clicks, right? Because there aren't there aren't those solidified guardrails where you can say, oh, I'm going to have every PC game ever. It's just not a thing. Uh, so yeah, and in those LucasArts collections, like they'll have a LucasArts collection the size of like an average video game collection, like taking up an entire wall, and you'll just see like, oh. They have uh, 11 copies of The Secret of Monkey Island. They have every American variant and then a bunch of foreign variants because right. uh, they just the- go super deep. Yeah. And one, there were also like, you know, co- or I guess Price Club at the time, like the bi- the huge big box retailers would have these like collections, right? So you'd have, oh, this is like LucasArts action pack. I'm making this up. I, it's something similar to that, though. Sure. Like LucasArts, LucasArts action pack number one, number two, number three. And it's like, so you'd have all these gigantic uh, compilations and those were, you know, you get many, many iterations of those as well. Yep. And I guess just because it's it's somewhat harder to run PC games or whatever the reason is, the PC people are more okay with digital, I guess. PC games are just way cheaper than console games. They've definitely like gone crazy in the past few years, but going crazy by PC terms means like, you know, the games like Doom are a few hundred dollars now as opposed to uh, whatever it was before, hundred dollars. But uh yeah, you don't see games like Hagane where a random game is worth like two grand. That just if that if there's a game for two grand on PC, it would be like Ultima one, like some super rare edition of that or something. Yeah, the the really high end ones that I find are like where there was like an early version of a game that was like published in a sandwich bag, right? Which exactly. for people who aren't familiar with the older PC legacy scene, like that was a thing, right? Like they would actually go door to door or like walk into Radio Shack and be like, hey, here's a bunch of diskettes and sandwich bags. Will you carry my game? Uh, and so there, there are games out there like Ultima is actually a very good example. There's a sandwich baggy version of Ultima um, that does command a price or things things that were in really limited release. I think the the most valuable PC game I have is uh, Neverwinter Nights for AOL, but they did a physical, uh, they did a very limited physical version of it and uh and so those gold box games but then again like gold gold box games are a subset that people collect for so it you know there's yeah pc games as we said before the value all the value in pc games is generally in these like really niche subsets and yeah that's what's wonderful about it i kind of i wish console games were like that it's like kind of making the transition now which is funny but uh you'll never have pressure to spend 75 dollars in a game you don't want to at pc gaming because you could just ignore all the games you don't want to because there's no set. Yeah, and to that end, uh, I think Tyler and I are both guilty of this at some point in our collecting career where it is, especially if you're coming from console collecting where you do have those you know rails in your head of like, oh, I'm going to try to get everything or I just need to amass more copies of things. It is very easy to get yourself into trouble buying garbage on PC, just like... You- Dude, you could buy good games on PC and it's just too much. You're like, I want to buy everything good I can get for less than twenty dollars. And it's like, oh, I bought two hundred games this week. <laughs> like it's just it, I guess like you could do that, Tyler, for with Japanese games too, right? Because that would be a mistake. <laughs> I guess <laughs> those are much smaller. Everything in Japan's smaller. The Famicom boxes are smaller, Famicom disc systems, nothing. So I'm just saying, great you idea. could kind of do the same thing though with with Japanese games, right? Like you could just spend all that money. Tyler? Johnny. 
I guess I guess my my recommendation if you were going to be going out and buying PC games is just understand that if you buy something that is not wildly popular in the collecting scene like a LucasArts game, like an Origin game, like a Sierra game, whatever, uh understand that if you were to resell it, it will be very difficult for you to get your money back. Um so yeah, because you, you see just wait these till like 2020, the year of the PC game collecting surge. <laughs> My copies of Half Life are going to be a thousand dollars each, Stefan. First on, print in these PC groups, these PC gaming groups on Facebook. I just see like these guys just posting. Here's 500 games that I'm trying to sell, and they will fire sell these poor things for for not a lot of money. Um, can imagine paying the shipping on the big box PC games. That too. Like it's already tedious to spend shipping. On like a boxed Nintendo game, just the idea of paying for shipping on basically something that is worth less than the cost of shipping would drive me crazy. Yeah. So uh, in short, collect PC games, guys. They're underpriced and they're the most important versions of these games. Hype train, doot doot, choot choot. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Cool. Ugh. All right. Uh, who? Who? Sorry. Who, next question. Who is that from? Oh, uh, that was Sardinum Spar. Is there another way to pronounce that? That's how I say it in my head. I don't know. All right. Sardinumspar. Thank you. Uh, we got another question from, didn't put the name here, so someone quickly tell me who asked this. I don't know. It's from your questions. Oh, was it? Oh, my God. All yep. right. I'll look it up here. while you guys are talking. Hey, what are some games that were either critical or commercial flops that you guys loved and recommend to others? For me, it's Alice Madness Returns and Deadly Premonition, which are interesting choices because those are two favorites on Collector's Quest. Early Collector's Quest, which if you didn't listen to, uh, co-host Catsylvania. Cat, Alice Madness Returns is one of her favorite games, and she would talk about that, uh, you know, and like Tonic for the N64 is one of her favorite games. So um, Alice would be one that she would have recommended. And Deadly Premonition is a game that I like a whole lot because it's weird and like the dialogue's bad and it's kind of x file so yeah, those like Deadly Premonition might have been one of my choices as well. Stefan, do you have any specifics that are like flops or like failures or rated I, bad? I mean, I think you know, I talk about this game a lot, but but Earthbound that was not, that did not commercially yeah, do true. very well. Everyone hates Earthbound. And uh, Loom is one of my favorite games, and nobody played that game. Sure. Ask Stefan about Loom. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I love everyone it. loves Loom. Shut up, Stefan. <laughs> Did Loom get bad reviews? I mean, it's hard to think of games that got super I mean, bad reviews because seven is like the bottom of the gaming scale. Yeah, well, game game rating is is a hoax, anyways. It is but, so. So yeah, I guess Earthbound is a scam. Earthbound is my is my number one answer. I think it is it is far more popular now than it ever was when it was new. Uh, here, I, I've got one for the Super Nintendo game I liked a lot. And I don't necessarily recommend this. I liked uh, Brain Lords for the Super Nintendo, which is not a good RPG by Enix. But yeah, that was a, a game for some reason I just played the shit out of. Uh, that also, and Mystic Quest, I played a bunch too because I was stuck in New York and that was the only game I had to play. So there's two bad ones. A lot of people really dislike Mystic Quest. They really do because it's insulting. <laughs> I tried. Uh, I tried thinking of a game that was like really bad that only I like, and I literally couldn't think of one. 
The closest thing I got is Ninja Gaiden 3, which I'm obviously over the moon for, and some people talk about it like it's the black sheep of the Ninja Gaiden series, even though it is far and away the best Ninja Gaiden game. But even that has its fans like me. Uh, a lot of people don't like hard driving. Like, there is this weird contingent of people who think hard driving's a bad game, and I would definitely put it in my arcade top 10. Right into the show, if you don't like hard driving, please try to explain it to me. It's like <laughs> driving a real car. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's, that's like, literally all I could think of. Yeah. I, Bomberman I, 64 is the best Bomberman. You guys want to fight me on that? It's definitely yeah, not Saturn, Saturn Bomberman. No, nope, it's Bomberman. Bomberman 64. Incorrect. No Better one, story. no one agrees with you. But that wasn't like a flop, so. Yeah, I know. That's just less good than the Saturn one. All right. Thank you, New Leaf Brandon, for that question. Uh, you want to take this next question, Tyler, since these are your questions? Uh, so here we're going to do an episode. Uh, so f- uh, from Jasonic the Kid. So you want to collect for the DSi? Here we go, guys. We got five games to talk about. <laughs> Number okay. one, Photo Showdown. $20. There you go. Number two, Picture Perfect Hair Salon. Johnny, I don't even know what the price on this game is. You tell me. Okay, so you might find it for $15, and the game is worth around $25 because people want to buy this game. But what everyone has it on eBay for and it does not sell for is $60 to $100. Don't pay those prices for it. I don't know why this is the hype game on this system, but it is. And there's only these very few. And this is, uh, we always talk about that one game that's a barrier to entry. This is your barrier game. <laughs> Put this on your <laughs> top <laughs> shelf, it as a, You should uh, keep it as a barrier. FYI. Number three, System Flaw. According to Game Value Now, it's a $5 game. And that's it. That's the North American DSi set. And then we've got, we've got two imports. Uh, face training, facial exercises to strengthen and relax from Fukumo Inundo. And that only came out in Europe. And then Hidden Photo only came out in Japan. And I'm not going to look up prices for those, because who cares? You guys all just want the U.S. set. <laughs> You're not yep. going to go above and beyond and get the <laughs> worldwide DSi set. That would be crazy. Uh, quick question. Did any of you guys complete any sets and then start picking up games forever? Other regions thinking you were going to do the world set? No. not Well, not, not in the not thinking I was going to do the world set. Like, I do have a lot of Super Famicom games, but that's generally because I like that, you know, said property. So I have a lot of games that I love in other regions just because I like those games. But I never, I never purchased foreign games thinking I was going to get them all. There was like a month where I bought like every Famicom card I could get. And that was just dumb. So I decided not to. There's like, 1200 Famicom games there's some crazy number of Famicom games and you can't play like half them so that was just a dumb idea yeah unless you unless you are bilingual to the point where it's easy for you to sort listings it's just language barrier is just such a huge bar for entry yeah so like I I thought about doing it for the uh, Sega CD and then I was like oh yeah no no that that would be bad and I I did it for the uh, 32X, but there was only like four extra games, so it wasn't well, really that's big. actually one of the what is this? The one that starts with a D that has X's in it. That's like one of the only cool 32X games to actually own. Oh, Darks, Dark Six or whatever. You like don't even know um, the name. Yeah. It's like worth over a thousand dollars now. <laughs> I I don't remember. <laughs> I bought it like twelve years ago. Yeah, yeah. 
I yes, don't even it, like but, the 32X set. The US set's not even exciting enough for me to buy. No, nope. 32X was one of the first sets I did. Not because I wanted to. It just kind of happened because there wasn't that many. Because at the time it was like five hundred dollars. Right. Uh, four hundred dollars actually. I remember seeing. This is a true story. I like after I bought my set, I was like, man, I spent like three hundred dollars to complete this set, and then there was a set on sale on eBay for four hundred and ten dollars, and I was like, ah, oh, man. Like, I wonder, I wonder if I should buy this, if that would just be like something I've, I would want to have as an investment. I'm like, <laughs> is anyone ever going to care about this though? Nah, that, that seems like a waste of money. The answer Complete is no. Complete set. No yeah. one's actually going to care about it, but they're going to say, I can have a full set of video games, but yeah. never actually put them in to play World Series Baseball 95. Yeah, and that's so you want to collect for the DSi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did it. You can collect for maybe $50 if you do some shopping around. Yep. Speaking of impulse buying foreign territory games, Tyler got me last episode. I did buy a copy of Metal Wolf Chaos. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. The remake's (laughs) coming out like next month. You should just play that one, probably. I'm sure I will, but. All right. Good, good. Wait, you you bought that game? I did. I looked at it and I was like, why? Why don't do it? Because I hyped it up. Yeah, like, not Tyler the, like collectability. Tyler really gameplay. sold that game. Yeah, he's like, the was, best Xbox game, legitimately. Was, he was very, very convincing. Yeah, you were selling that pretty hard. I have like I don't know eight Japanese um, uh, Xbox games, and one of them is Nude, and then uh, Castle Castle Shishigami are the other ones. Honestly, we talk about how we kind of have this ability to hype things i think i don't think there's there's no one there's no one on earth that tyler's hype train works more than (laughs) than me (laughs) i true yeah tyler tyler just yeah we Uh, should keep stefan do you know what we've discussed off the show a bunch uh gamecube games (laughs) yeah we'll get to that later okay all Uh, right well next question why is pinball such an amazing sport by Jasonic the Kid? All right, I'll keep it real fast here. Uh, every game of pinball is different because it's a physical game. Stuff's actually bouncing around. That's what makes it more fun to own than arcade games. And pinball is 95% skill-based. Maybe you can put it down to like 80% depending on the game you're playing, which makes it a lot like Magic the Gathering or really any card game where the more skilled player will win almost all the time. But if you completely suck and you're playing a really good player, there's always that small chance that they could just get completely screwed and you'll win, and that always feels really good. That's why pinball is an amazing sport. Yeah, I could randomly get screwed. Hooray! What happens in Magic? It does all the time. It's the worst. But it does keep it exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with your assessment. I think so this is when... No, go ahead. I just think there's a happy mix of randomness and skill, but mostly skill, and those are fun things to play. Because if it's all skill-based, like if it's, if it's Donkey Kong or something, it's like, it can get to be a bit of a grind if you're uh, you're just playing Donkey Kong for eight hours, and it's just kind of the same thing over and over. But pinball, you always got to be on your toes. It's true. All right, next question. All right, I think this is when my questions start... Uh, kicking in here so jasonic the kid gets around because he also <laughs> left he also left a question for me uh asking why is the laser active such an amazing system to collect for now uh stop me if i'm wrong here gentlemen i don't believe any of us here collect laser active Do however not. i'm not sure however, i could name a laser active game like legitimately i don't I. think i could name one but 
For the audience, Laser Active was a laser disc based system. Uh, so the game and the games are are significantly rare. And I think that so it's my my answer to this question is just things that I can assume. Uh, the games are extremely rare, so the thrill of the hunt is awesome. Uh, there are very few games, uh, so which I think is a good combination for a collector looking to do you know starting out with sets or looking to do an offset because you have you still get that like oh man this like really visceral thrill finding these games but then your goalpost is not very far right so you still can complete a, a set of laser active reasonably not easily but but there aren't many games in the set to collect so that's why i think it's probably the, those folks who collect laser active i think that's probably the primary reason also uh just people like to be hipsters in this hobby sometimes and i think uh collecting something that generally not many people collect is is appealing to some folks I will tell you, I always wanted a laser active, and I still do. The problem with the laser active, the system, is it's just a piece of like audiovisual equipment, you know. So it's just like packaged in an old DVD box, like a you know, it's just like a ugly cardboard box. There's no frill on that thing at all. It just it looks like you bought a laser display. That's all it looks like. So it, it's hard to display, but I did always want one with the. Turbo Graphics module and the Sega CD and the Genesis module. Like, I wanted that real bad. I, I still kind of do. I always held out. I still don't own one, but I've always held out to the for the fantasy of finding one in a thrift store because Johnny's right. They do look identical to standard Laserdisc players unless you know what you're looking for. So there have certainly been people who have found them in thrift stores among the piles of Laserdisc and AV equipment. So they are out there in, you know, in secondhand shops. And so that's why I've never wanted to pay the like $500 or whatever they go for now because I have this dream that I'm going to find one at Goodwill. Yeah, so when are you going to start collecting for it? <laughs> right now. As soon as I finish GameCube. Nice. <laughs> that'll, that'll be perfect. I'm going to um, go from the smallest discs to the largest discs. That'll be great. I, I'm <laughs> I'm really looking forward to how you figure out how to store, store those. Um, yeah, you know, the Laser Active is like... There's a world where I walk into a store and see a good price on a Laser Active system, and then suddenly I'm buying Laser Active games. I could be tempted. Uh, I have thus far made it many years holding off doing that, but uh, there's a world where it could happen. Also, it's got like a very specific controller that gets expensive too. It looks like your standard six-button Genesis controller, but it says laser active. Anyways, I think it's cool. It's just gigantic. It's hard to store. It doesn't display well. And the games are laser disc sized and they are kind of rare. So, yep. And they're all, like every one of them is like a hundred bucks. So yeah. Like, you're not spending under, like, pretty much $100 on Laser Active games. Well, I can't say you aren't, but a lot of them are. Like, go look at TimeGal. That's, like, an import for it. Go look at how expensive that stupid thing is. Much monies. But uh, there's also, like, there's some lists out there that tell you, like, what the U.S. ones were versus the um, Japanese ones, too. So just be, if you are doing that and you want to have fun with that, just be aware that there are Japanese only and then like some split region ones. And I don't know if the split region ones make any differentiation. Mr. Tyler, is there anything you'd like to add on the laser active? 
Um, I've always thought the Laser Active is like one of these impossible systems to find. I'm just looking at eBay. I can't believe how many there are. There's like a dozen mm-hmm. consoles in completed listings and then a dozen more Sega packs like with the controllers. And they go for like 200 bucks. The the Sega packs, the consoles just all over the place. Uh, I don't know. Kind of can't believe how attainable a laser active is because i've you've never heard of anyone ever own a laser active obviously there are people who are like oh yeah i had a 3do i had a friend who had a neo geo no one's ever talked about this system ever i uh, did have a friend who had the stupid thing no you didn't shut up Johnny. i swear to god <laughs> his name was todd and he was like a weird kid who played hockey and you didn't even he was like a foster kid he's been fostered by he didn't have it his like foster parent had this thing and I remember him showing because I watched. It was the first place I ever watched a laser disc when we watched Star Wars. But he's like, "Oh yeah, it can play Genesis games." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool. I guess. Why would you want that?" And did not understand what I was looking at. But yeah, he legit did, and he was down the street. Uh, the last thing, I, the last thing I'll say about Laser Active is if you are looking into buying the modules because they do have interchangeable modules for things like the Genesis and Turbo Graphics. Those uh, I know, especially the Genesis one, is very notorious for having a tremendous amount of capacitors in them, and they do tend to blow. So a lot of times when you're buying the module, you'll find them not working. So make sure you ask if it's been tested, and then if it hasn't been, you probably can assume that it's broken, and then uh, make sure that you sort of factor in some some padding into your budget for having those caps replaced. Also, you can get Pyramid Patrol for like $40, Johnny. I don't know who you're telling people are going to spend $100 on laser active games. I think Pyramid Patrol is the most common game because that's the only game okay. I almost played on the laser active. I had a laser right. active in front of me with Pyramid Patrol and I was trying to get it to work. And then someone came up to me and said, oh, yeah, that doesn't work. Hashtag story behind the game. <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you again, Jasonic the Kid, for that question. Uh, Next one, this was actually addressed a little bit more specifically to me, but I changed the wording a little bit to make it a broad, answerable question for all of us. Uh, And that is from Padawan Collectibles. Aside from what you already collect, what collectibles would you get into? And the caveat that I put on top of this is, let's assume that we didn't already collect... Uh, what the things that we do collect because I know Tyler's immediate answer to this was I wouldn't collect anything else because I collect too much crap. <laughs> so let's let's all assume that we don't collect stuff now. And uh, what would we? Uh, what would we, what else would we collect? I know for me, uh, Transformers is a big one that I always loved. Uh, if space was not an option, which it obviously is because my game room is ridiculous, um, I would I would. Uh, collect Transformers. Uh, I think getting into it now is a little probably uh, too intimidating for me. There's just a lot of homework that I would have to do just to just to make sure at a baseline I wasn't getting ripped off, let alone uh, all the intricacies of that hobby. Um, but yeah, I, I love Transformers. I always have loved the show. Uh, and I would... Um, I would love to collect Transformers if I was going to tack something on to this monstrosity of mine. What about you, Tyler? I think space is too much of an issue for a lot of things. Like there's things like vintage computers that I could get into, but like, I just, I don't have the space to hook that up. I've already been into wrestling action figures. I got rid of most of that because I could never get into another toy hobby. It's just ridiculous. And then from a historical perspective, I would never have enough funds to cover two kind of historical hobbies. So going to like comics, like I would want to get, the high-end comics along with the high-end games, I would never be able to split my focus like that. 
So something I have been into is, uh, how do I describe it? Like tiny artisan runs of like metal things like uh, one piece multi tools. I'm really into Peter Atwood. If there's one person that's listening to the show who knows who Peter Atwood is, shout out. He makes like, like little kind of can openers. I have like a little ruler on the side, little pry bar and one thing. I love that crap. And so I somewhat recently learned there's this kind of like community of puzzle makers who make like limited run puzzles almost like all sorts of wooden puzzles and like metal puzzles and things like that. And okay, I think so we're, we're not we're not talking about like jigsaw puzzles, not like. jigsaw puzzles. They're called mechanical puzzles. So things you take apart like, and have to figure out how to put them together or sometimes right, they're here, like a little puzzle. This box. is a rope. <laughs> There's a rope and four rings like, yeah, get stuff the like rope that. out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, like I, stuff that you would find at uh, what was that toy store that used to be in malls that went away? Uh, the ga- like game works, not game. Uh, works, no, uh, no, I know, I know what you're talking about though. Oh, what, what's it called? Shit. Oh man, we had one. Oh well, it's gone. Okay, <laughs> but Lost not Johnny. Not the stuff you could buy in the store. I'm talking about the high end artisan shit. Uh, Tyler, I 100% believe you. Yes. And then the other thing, uh, high end tops is a crazy world. I'm part of a Facebook group. Uh, Wait, tops? What do you mean top? Like spinning, spinning tops? tops. Spinning oh top. yes, we are we are learning so much about Tyler tonight. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have any high end tops, but I follow the high end top world, on. and it is next. <laughs> Hold on, what do you mean high end tops? Like uh, different metals made by like artisan top makers. Oh, like yo, you can, here's a top made out of meteorite, dude. T- not not that. Like the like tungsten is a good one. Like you want to get like a really tungsten heavy top cheap. with like a ruby bearing or something. Oh yeah, and you want to spend you want to spend like twelve hundred dollars on a top, guys. You could spend twelve hundred dollars on a top. I'm sorry, it'll spin for thirty five minutes. Hey, hey, Johnny. As as old as we thought Tyler was before, <laughs> he just I, got uh, older. He just somehow he just got older. I don't. I, I don't totally know. expected him to say pocket watches, <laughs> or like pipes. I can yeah. see him collecting pipes. Artisan pipes, handcrafted <laughs> from. This one was made by a boy in Guatemala, known for his skill with whittling. Tyler, why haven't you gotten to whittling yet? You guys want? I'm going to invite you guys to Pocket Top Talk. I think it's a private group, so you're going to have to be invited. And then there's Pocket Top Sales, which is the sales group. And we can look at all the oh man, look at all no, they're so cool. No, I will not I will I would I would rather spend my time in Pirates of Darkwater rules. What why <laughs> you should want to spend your time there, by the way. Also, shout out to all the new members of uh Pirates of Darkwater Rules, all our POWR fans. Cool. Uh Stefan and I are gonna do a a special podcast you know, pretty soon. And it's going to be podcasters of dark water. And, uh, yeah, don't worry about that. That, that will be out before Christmas where we will have one or two episodes, Stefan and I only, unless we can rope Tyler into watching the show. Johnny, just, this is the first time I'm hearing about this, but I'm already this on is, board. This is not true. Stefan and I had a long talk about this before. It's not true. Are you going episode by episode so I could follow along with the show? Maybe. All right. I bet I could. I bet I could get some voice actors on board. I, I think we could actually make something like this very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, let me know uh, when you want to do podcasters of dark water. I am totally on board. Okay. Excellent. So, uh, uh, Johnny, you did not answer this question. Oh, uh, yeah. So if I was going to get into anything I don't collect now, it would probably be laser active games. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, um, this is hard for me because uh, I'm a mess and I collect different stuff. Like uh, my wife kind of started collecting Harry Potter books after we did that Harry Potter episode, so she that was kind of bad. She really? That oh, yeah, she did. Uh, that episode cost me a shit ton of money, so thanks me. Yeah, like, and I, I think I would follow up more on that because I kind of like it, but maybe I'd buy old Harry Potter merchandise. First but print I, I've books, always... Johnny, signed oh my by God, JK so herself. So or, what's her name? Like, call her actual name. Make it seem like you know Joanne her. Joanne Rowling. Joanne. Call her Joanne. Yeah. Uh, I think she just goes by Joe. But um, anyways, I would, like I always said, like, if I had a room that, like, if I just had all the money in the world and I had, like, a big space, I would definitely do, like, the original Kenner line of Star Wars figures. But aside from that, like, that's because I've already collected Star Wars stuff in the past. I would get uh, Masters of the Universe figures. I I loved He-Man and Masters of the Universe growing up, still do. And uh, I would love to have kind of, like, just to see all of them and, like, the big place that's I always like I had Castle Grayskull, but like the Snake Mountain, they're so big. All the playsets for that are gigantic. And like so are the toys. And I just thought they were so cool. And I never had space or, you know, money. So that was never happening. But yeah, that's what, what about I would all do. the what about the contemporary stuff like all the Maddie collector? Oh like yeah, yeah. That, like that, I, that that hobby goes way deeper than I oh, ever thought it. Oh was yeah, good. like I I actually have a couple. Like I have the the meme, the He Man meme one, the What's Going On. Yeah, they yeah. made that one, and uh, like I had like the original uh, collector's edition, like King Randor, and um, uh, somewhere I, somewhere I have the Molar from uh oh do you from robot chicken yeah oh yeah 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 no i have that too i I think i still have that too um that was a really good one yeah which is that it was a parody from robot chicken where they had a dentist of he-man so uh masters of the universe and that was a good one i will say credit to to mattel they are super in tune most of the time to what their audience actually wants well, now they're like, um, are they still Mattel? Like, because no, they went over to a different company that I'm. The name is escaping me now. But there's still like an exclusive line of uh, like four to eight figures or something that come out either a year or a season. And I'm not exactly sure how it goes. But they they publish all kinds of cool figures. Like they go deep, and it's awesome. And I I love how deep and weird they go. So it's not just 35 He-Man figures. You have all these strange characters from like all the lore and uh it's pretty wonderful so that's what i'd do all right thanks again for uh, that question padawan collectibles uh the next one i actually got more than one person <laughs> asked when is this shirt with stefan's face on it coming out uh this for those of you who don't know this was a joke a a long-standing joke uh where i had said i was going to before one of the portland shows i said i was gonna get shirts made with my face on them and that started the whole um back and forth with me and johnny about how i'm not a brand (laughs) and um and so uh probably never you guys i i don't i don't know they'll be in the the room at uh i think you should Yeah, now I think you should. Even because it's going to look really weird when you walk into a panel wearing a shirt with your own stupid face on it. Yeah, originally <laughs> originally I was just going to get one made with my face on it just for me and then people started expressing interest. It cannot uh, be real interest. <laughs> I, can I like, get, would it be under $20? I'm in. 
See, there you go. I think it's all it's all down to price point, Johnny. I think if I can get them made cheaply enough, I I think I could get people <laughs> to wear my face on and, their and for real this year. Like I was going to do it last year. Like we really do need to have collectors quest shirts when I we agree. go out to Portland. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, all right. So um, that <laughs> any more you want to add to you being disgusting and wearing a shirt with your face on it? <laughs> no. Although, right. so how about how about we'll settle on this? If someone would like to make their own shirt with my face on it, I will supply them with a high res image of my face. Um, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, all, right. all right. So thank you for the three or four people who actually asked that. Uh, the next question, actually, I think is probably one of my favorite of the bunch that I got uh, from the gamer Adam. Uh, if you could interview anyone in the retro collecting scene or video game industry, uh, who would it be? Uh, I so from the retro scene, um, I think uh, Bronte uh, Dan Dan Maresca um, would probably be my my pick. Twofold, I think he you know he's been in the 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 game for a hundred years, and he also collects uh art like cover art he's one of the one of the premier art collectors in this hobby which is just a scene that i could never afford to be active in but also find absolutely fascinating um and then also he like on a personal level when i was first uh getting into this hobby and was catching a tremendous amount of flack for the, the the rate at which I was collecting, the amount of money that I was spending. Um, he was one of the first people to come to bat for me and defend me from uh, all the uh, folks over at Nintendo Age. Um, so, Not all the folks, so, all, the, all the people in that thread that were being a jerk. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, like I'm not saying I'm not saying that everyone was a jerk, but I'm just saying that like, that that was the source of of yeah, yes. of the of the vitriol was Nintendo Age. I just want to um, be clear, we're not like shitting on all of Nintendo no, Age. No, we no, do no, that no, from no. time and, to time, but usually we meet specific individuals. Yeah, for sure. In fact, most of the people who treated me that way aren't aren't even really active on Nintendo Age today. But um, but I've never really gotten a chance to like sit down with him, and I just think that it would be fascinating on multiple levels um as far as the video game industry uh tim schaefer is probably my my top pick he runs double fine he uh did a lot of the point and click adventures that i care about like grim fandango and full throttle a lot of the lucasarts stuff so i think he would just be a fascinating guy to talk to yeah tim schaefer would be cool Uh, i support you on that pick what about you tower who do you got so I didn't I, I didn't prepare for this question. So my answer, I feel like I might steal it from Johnny's. I just want to get one of these guys who has all of the information and get the information from them. Because I mean, yeah, you could you could interview uh, you can interview any collector, and any collector is going to have interesting stories. Like obviously, Bronte's going to have some crazy stories about getting original art for video games and stuff. But you know, everyone has cool stories. I just want to sit down with like uh, power players. He changed his name. I don't remember what his real name is anymore. Uh, Braveheart, uh, Kenneth K thrower. And I just want to get their spreadsheet and be like, show me all the things that I should be looking for that I like, don't know about yet that you're going to eventually get out there. And then everyone's going to want it. I want to know that first <laughs> spoilers. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Um, I, my pick is actually Braveheart because Braveheart, when I first started, like, it's weird because there's a certain group of people I consider the old guard, even though I feel like now people look at me as the old guard, specifically because I'm old. But 
like someone like Braveheart, who I just looked at like his Game Gear stuff and like all the list he had and all the black box and just how much he knew. And I was just like, I need to be like this guy. This is the guy who like he knows his stuff and he's got all the answers and he's not a total dick in any of these threads. Like he chimes in. He like was active enough. He read threads. He came in and like like corrected people, not in a rude way, just like, hey, here's the actual information that you were looking for. And uh, I would love to just sit with him and and have him tell us, uh, you know, what the what the hobby was like pre like 2005. You know, how was he getting information? Because it was so much harder. It people take for granted how much information we actually have now and how much harder it was. Last year it was harder, and the year before that it was harder than that. So if you keep going back, it's just harder and harder. So how did these guys know? How did they suss it out? How did they how did they get it right um, when they were getting it right? And like, what pitfalls did they encounter though, which made them get stuff wrong? What gave them headaches and stuff? Especially kind before of stuff like, like eBay, like stuff has been on eBay forever. But like in Instagram and forum threads, like if you had if you collected games five years ago and you just kept a list of literally everything you ever saw, you would have a pretty good list. But like in the early two thousands, kind of before all of that, it like before smartphones and pictures work. Think about like before we all could just like pick up our phone, take a picture of something and send it to people. People take for granted. That was not 10 years ago. We didn't really do that to the level we do now. And 15 years ago, that just didn't happen. So that, uh, yeah, I would like, that's why I said, I'd like to hear from the old guard how they did it, how they got around. Anyways, that's it. That's all I got. And I back your play on Tim Schafer. I would like to sit down with Tim Schafer. Thank you, the the gamer, Adam, for your question. That's right. Um, and uh, I believe this now we, goes we to We answered Johnny. this question already. So what's the next you want to collect episode? Also from the gamer, Adam. We just did it, DSI. We just did it. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome. 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yep. You were listening. Hey, um, aside from that, we will probably do GameCube, right, Stefan? Right, Stefan? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm still pushing this to the end of the podcast, but yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to make sure we do Game Boy eventually, once we get yeah, all the info Yeah, we kind of did an episode on Game Boy, but I would, like like I said, I, I've got a few people I've actually been contacting um, to get some Game Boy information. So maybe that'll be a thing we do. All right, and this was a question we got a while ago. Man, I didn't write his name here. Sorry. Johnny, I don't know if this is the right form to make a request for the Collector's Quest podcast, but I figured I'd try. I guess I'd like to know, with the exception of eBay, what are some great places to pick up games online? I'm sure you'll have some places I most likely don't know about. Thanks. Uh, or sorry, sorry, thanks in advance. Um, guys, do you have resources outside of eBay that you use outside of like Nintendo Age, other forms? Instagram and Facebook groups because those are like I think the primary places people go aside from like local game stores now. Sure, um, I I preach Facebook groups a lot. Uh, in fact, I think we've covered this topic before. But but yeah. So and as far as recommending which Facebook groups, honestly, generally they are very the the titles are very descriptive. Uh, my my four year old just jumped on my back. Um, 
Uh, generally, they're very descriptive. Uh, so if you just like search in, uh, you know, the, uh, do a Facebook search for your topic and then look at groups uh, that have that search term in them and then kind of just look at the member count. Usually it's pretty easy to figure out which ones are the popular the popular forums. Also, I honestly recommend just if you're looking for something, just type it into Google. And like I have found little boutique online presences for like game stores or just some guy that's just putting stuff up on his on his like Angel Fire site. Um I, I've gotten good deals that way, uh, and and honestly, the way you do that is just by googling and seeing what comes up. I'm a hundred percent down with that for uh, like, especially like rare stuff that doesn't really come up on eBay. That's how I got my copy of All Star Baseball '97 for like less than twenty bucks. It was like some guy's GeoCity site, and I'm like, oh my god, he yeah. actually shipped it. So uh, I'm down with that. The one major store I use is JJ Games because they're the only store that actually takes pictures of every item they do, which is great for both condition and finding specific variants. Uh, I did that when I was collecting Xbox. I would go through all of his pictures and just pick up all the variants for the games because when I was buying Xbox, they were all like a dollar. Now they're like four dollars. Xbox is going crazy, guys. Um, other than that, like make a relationship with some game store. It doesn't have to be a local game store because... Uh, a couple of the guys I talk to, I don't live by, and maybe I used to live by them, but uh, yeah, if they like run around to shows a lot, they might be able to like search for hard to find stuff for you and pick it up. So get friends is my other suggestion. Yeah, like really, there's no your, secret your community. Yeah, it's there's not like a, a secret hole or anything. I tell you to go look in. Um, my secret would be make friends, like Tyler said. Reach out to people on Instagram. Be social. That helps so much more than you can even possibly imagine. I definitely underrated that when I first started collecting. I was like, I'll just know things and I'll learn things. But uh, just networking is, uh, you know, especially in the social media age, pays a lot of dividends. Once you build up your social presence, when people know you as that guy who wants, who is looking for X thing, uh, you have you have to do so much less work because things will start to come to you. Like I can't tell you how many amazing deals. In fact, we'll talk about one towards the end of the podcast that I just got um, that just drop themselves into your lap because people know that you're looking for things. Okay, not everyone can be a vacuum for everything and become a that guy, Stefan. No, but it's easier to do than you think. Well, especially if you only do one thing and people realize that you're looking for it. If you make friends, they'll just pay attention for you. Anyways, you guys got anything more to add to that? No, but before we start our next next question, I need to take a beat so I can escort Piper out. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'll be right back. Hey, Johnny, how's it going? How's the episode going? Uh, It's it's going longer than I thought, that's for sure. Yeah, me too. Cool. So uh, what the f***s with those tops? Uh, dude, pop pocket top talk. Let me tell you. So, like, they'll make like a batch of like fifty tops, and like only fourteen of them will meet their standards. And they'll have to sell the rest as seconds or not at all because they don't want to tarnish their image. Man, uh, did everybody just watch Inception and then suddenly become obsessed with this? No, I don't think so. How much do people in that form hate the movie Inception? So there are, there's like a mass market brand of Inception tops that sucks. So they all hate Inception. Yeah. Oh no, I've seen those tops. So like spins for ten minutes. And yeah. Stuff, and I was like, but it doesn't, and everyone hates them. And that game is Dark Side, and so I didn't get it totally wrong. And there's only one X. Oh, Dark Side. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's like people like spend like hundreds of dollars on repros of Darkseid now. Do they? Uh definitely over a hundred dollars. Man, uh, I have a repro of it I should just sell. There's a repro that just went for 150. Like a complete in box repro. Oh, okay. Apparently, I guess someone finally figured out how to get it from China because the, the current repros card only are only $35. Oh, shit. God, why? Oh, well, why? congratulations on having that. You should post that on Instagram. Nah. Oh, man, look at this. Look at this reproduction. This one, it looks like the real thing. That one that went for 150 Bummer. Damn, that sucks. Like, even in the black box, the repros I've seen all had the yellow label. That was, uh, a Nolan Brothers did that a long time ago. Man, I, there's not even a, a completed listing for a real sale of this. Yeah, it's super fucking rare. Huh. I, I'm, pr- I'm almost 100% sure it's over $1,000. Yeah, uh, so I didn't actually complete the 32X World set. It was like FIFA Soccer 95 or something I didn't get. <laughs> Is that Seriously. like another one of these stupid hard games to get? Um, I don't know if it's really that hard to get or anything um i remember i just didn't want to pay 50 dollars for a soccer game back in the day oh sweet summer child yeah now i'm all i am all about soccer games like i don't care what it is like soccer black box is like the hot one of the hot black box games every every soccer game i just need to jump on hey Stefan, welcome back i am back i also had to feed the lady of the house so i'm i'm back now sorry i broke up the flow there nope that's okay. Tower just has to edit all of this now. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. So, uh, next question. <laughs> Going back with Jay Sonic the Kid, because he's everywhere. Yeah, um, dude. That guy gets around. This is not a uh, question. This is a statement. He loves the new host. He thinks you and Stefan are great, Tower. So, Stefan, Tower, you're great. I agree. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for buttering us up. Nope. Thanks for tolerating my ums and ahs. I think I'm getting better. I hope so. Okay. I guess Tyler would be the one to tell me sure. since he has to edit them. Um, 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 yeah, um, it's okay. Also from Jay Sonic, why does Tyler want to fight everyone all the time? Does he need <laughs> to switch to decaf? Tyler? Uh, I do. Tr- I drink around three cups of coffee a day. Maybe, maybe that has something to do with it. Um, because conflict is interesting and I didn't fight Johnny enough when I joined the show. So now True. I turn my opinions up to 10, even when it is not warranted, because that's how you make entertainment. True. And I did say, like, fight me more. And people did not appreciate all the agreement uh, that happened on the show before. So I'm glad you do it, even though it is frustrating at times. Okay, uh, this one comes from Excite Bike Comic and Games. All right. Favorite game of all time, post 16-bit era. Opinions on why. Let's go with you, Stefan. What's your favorite post-16-bit era game? Mm, God, probably something boring like Final Fantasy VII. Ew. I know super modern. I really, really, really enjoy Horizon Zero Dawn. I think that is probably the best third-person action game ever made. So, yeah, if you want something super modern, definitely Horizon Zero Dawn. I. It's difficult for me because... Like, if you ask me for my top 10, they're all 16-bit games. Um, so... That's why the question yeah. was phrased the way it was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think my... my If you want something just after the 16-bit era, it's going to be a little bit more boring because I just didn't 
I, I I played the milestone games and then skipped out on a bunch. So, but there you go. All right, what about you, Tower? Uh, my three favorite games of all time are Zelda Ocarina of Time, Super Mario 64, and Doom, none of which are 16-bit, so kind of, that's just that. But more in the spirit of the question, my favorite modern game is Metal Gear Solid 4, which is in my top 10 of all time. I love that game. It's amazing. So uh, Metal Gear. Metal Gear Solid 4. I've never played that game. Have you played the first three Metal Gear Solids? Yes. Ooh, you should play Metal Gear Solid 4. Well, and I, I just... It's it's like that, but even less gameplay. Kind of. That, but well, oh, the ending that's... just ties everything together, and it's like, oh my god, this is the best ending of a game ever. Really? Yeah, because it just got to be too much for me. I was just like, eh, not into it, can't do it, don't like it. Yeah, I have the same issue with it uh, that I do the Xenosaga games, in that it's like, I just felt like there was like, okay, I'm going to play for five minutes, and then I'm going to watch a cutscene for 40 minutes, and then I'm going to play another 10 minutes. Yeah, I didn't feel like the first, like, Metal Gear Solid, uh, the very first one was like that, so... Metal Gear Solid 4 is definitely like super cutscene heavy. And I would probably, I would hate if a game did that to me today, but it came out right at the cusp of when games were really starting to become super narrative y. So I just totally loved it. And now I have too much nostalgia for it to ever kind of hate on it for not having enough gameplay. But the gameplay that is there is still really good. So that's it. No, that's fair. Um, Okay. For me, man, I like a lot of new games. I I really do love the new Zelda. So. Breath of the Wild, I think, is great. Maybe Portal 2. That's just a game I love. Like Portal 2 is like a perfect game to me. Also, Bioshock. The first Bioshock I love mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. So, those are some, and I've talked about those before. Yeah, those. those Thanks for the questions, games, Derek. Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not alone. There's like, there's a, when we got asked that question about games that were critically panned, you know, I kind of like maybe I maybe I'm too mainstream, but uh, I kind of go with the flow sometimes. Uh, and those were great games, and I played them. Okay, favorite collection on IG outside of your own, and this comes from the gamer Adam. Hey Adam, thanks for all your questions today. You're making the episode for us. You and Jay Sonic, uh, Tower. You want to take this one first, or Stefan? Sure. I'll go with a retro game enthusiast, just because our tastes are so similar. He's got uh, a big card-only NES collection, but then he has like all the really important stuff complete, and he posts Famicom stuff all the time, and I also love Famicom stuff, and he's a really friendly guy. You should go follow uh, Retro Game Enthusiast. And uh, if, right. I was, so, if I was going to go from like a craziest collection ever, there's like a lot of guys who just kind of have everything, like, like Johnny Ayuchi. Or like VG, Collectaholic, and Mesmeron. I like them because they will post Atari and Odyssey stuff, and no one posts Atari and Odyssey stuff. So I love them too. Johnny was accepted from those last three. He does not post Atari stuff. Very rarely. I've posted maybe five Atari games. Yeah, what the heck, Johnny? Come on. I just don't have any Atari games to post that I like, because they're terrible. All right, Stephen, you tell Uh, me. Who should I follow? Super Spark, sir. Brandon, it's it's no secret I have a big old man crush on that guy. He, for one thing, he's like super into the like high end retro CRT scene, and th- that that speaks to me. I love PVMs and BVMs in that whole world. Uh, I I love chasing high resolution uh, RGB signals and that kind of thing, and he's totally into that, and so am I. But also, 
the amount of time that that not only does he take insane amounts of time, effort and energy to craft each one of his photos, but then he also puts up these behind the scene shots that shows you exactly how that he he did them. And uh, and it's just uh, it's just a lot of effort. And I, I, I like to, you know, applaud people who put in that much insane amounts of effort into their into their feed. Um, so, yeah, he, he you should. Yeah, you should follow Super Sparkster. He's awesome. That is correct. You should be doing that. If you can't imagine that you don't already, because I think he's got more followers than both of us. Uh, deservedly so, by the way. Um, 15,000 followers. I bet Kat has more. Uh, Kat definitely has more. Kat just posted. Still... Everyone go. I know she's back. To I, <laughs> I'm going to go talk to Kat. I'm like, I talked to her on her birthday, and that was kind of the last time I talked to her. So I'm curious how she. I'm curious how she's doing and how she has any time for anything right now. This should be her busy season. Um, let's see. For me, any of those guys mentioned before are fine options. Jay Knox is like a guy, like, because he's got European stuff and I don't like see that, but he's also got so much stuff. I like all the space he has. So, like, Jay Knox would be a good one. There, there's just, you know, you could pick any one of these top end guys that Brandon uh, Super Sparks is like a really good one to pick. You know, these are these are some great unique collections. That that's my pick. Anything else we need to say on that? I think before we move on, I think I wanted to uh, to once again hype uh, VG Collectaholic. Not only is he a friend of the show, but uh, the guy's got an amazing oh, collection. Yeah, great collection. Yeah. And and he does not have the the. He's an account where I look at. And I go, how do you not have more followers? So if you're not following him, you should absolutely follow him. Oh, His content wow. is amazing. I have more followers than him. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so weird. So absolutely. And it's not a knock on him. I don't understand. He's getting effed by the algorithm somehow, I'm sure. But uh, so if you don't follow VG Collectaholic, he's an amazing guy, has, has a wealth of information as well as an amazing collection. So please go follow him. 100% agree. I find myself kind of siloing people into the type of collectors they are now. And he is the kind of guy who will like, he posts like a weird variant. That's just cool because it's rare. And that is totally the kind of collector that's ingrained in how, my brain. So I how's your answer? Thing. Not super Nintendo. Uh, so again, like I really appreciate super Nintendo for going really hardcore into a console that totally doesn't matter. I totally respect like how you can get really hyped up about one of the worst consoles ever and go like deeper than almost anybody, but it's just not my favorite collection. Almost that is such anybody? a backhanded compliment. That's the worst. His content's great. <laughs> he uh he what was the he recently posted 140 prototype Xbox controllers that he bought. Like what? That's yeah, he's crazy. He is. But uh I, I love his stuff. So well and what's fascinating about him too is that like he did have more of like the mainstream stuff. He had an I think an NES set and a Super Nintendo set and just tons and tons and tons and tons of like more uh I guess for lack of a better term, commercially viable games, and then he dumped them all in favor of collecting Xbox. Yep. Yeah, he decided to go deep all the way. Yeah. Like all the like He's seriously great. throw out the so you want to collect Xbox show, which was like Tyler thinking he knew anything about Xbox. Just look up Super Nintendo on Instagram. He's he posts stuff that I've never seen every single week. No, that that that's uh, not fair because he, that like your basic primer, if you want to collect Xbox, is still our Xbox. But if you want the advanced yep. episode, follow him. One hundred percent follow him, and you'll just sit there like I do. And just go, what the f- amazing. Well, 
and he goes deep into the ephemera like I do I yeah. tend to do with Nintendo stuff like he gets he pulls these like awards out of the woodwork that is just like ridiculous or just like all this uh, point of sale stuff and he goes crazy for it so especially if it's Halo yeah, and if you find yeah. uh, one of the Xbox guys, they frequently post like a giant list of like who the big Xbox collectors are, and you could just find one of those posts and follow like all fifteen guys who are just like way over their heads into original Xbox, a console that doesn't matter. <laughs> yep, but uh, I'm sorry, Xbox awesome family. to see people go deep. Anyways, uh, moving on, those are all great people to follow, and if you don't, anyone we just said, you should follow them because they have amazing collections and and can kind of teach you stuff. So. You know, what are you doing not following them? All right. Next question. <laughs> Stefan. Yes. Are you planning on buying everything? This is from our friend Chris, CWR2. <laughs> you know, as funny as this question is, um, I I understand that people look at my buying habits and think that I just want to amass all of the things. Uh, but I do typically have outside of targets of opportunity, which, like I said, I do have I am I am blessed to have the to to live in a collecting ecosystem where things do kind of tend to gravitate toward me. So I will buy things that are just excellent targets of opportunity. We'll be talking about one of them later. But uh, but I do outside of that, I do have a general plan like like um i mean recently i haven't been buying a tremendous amount of games regularly i've been more buying uh thing you know one-off items from nintendo employees that's been my big focus i've spent the last eight months to a year now really really focusing on hunting down uh nintendo employees and uh, that sounds very violent um finding finding nintendo employees or ex nintendo employees and 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 cultivating a collection of items from them that's been my primary focus so uh, i certainly have collected a little bit of everything uh but as far as my focus now uh that that's really it like i am in enjoying this space of where Everything that I uh, acquire is 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 very difficult to find, and I tell people that like the 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 things that I really love are things that half the people I show them to don't care about. Um, like like as as much as like we thought that that you know when I bought the piece of the Nintendo building the other day, uh, as as much as we thought that was cool, many people that I showed it to are like, oh yeah, that's a that's a cool rock guy. Like, good job. Um, so that's what it so, is. Uh, like, like weird, weird flex, bro. Is was the was the comment that I got. So, but like, I love these things that are it, uh, of like what I feel have like true historic nature. That's what I'm most into right now. So I'm not. I'm certainly not buying everything. It's just that um, externally it might look that way because I'm currently buying things that are sort of off the beaten path. I think that's a good answer. Can you imagine what it would be like if Stefan actually put his mind to buying everything? He would be like, guys, I got 500 PlayStation games here. Oh, we got 400 PC Engine games on the way. Like, Stefan can I'm go crazy when he for, wants to go crazy. I'm still waiting for him to get into PS2. Oh, my God. That's it's going to be so good. It's going to be a beautiful you know, two months. <laughs> as, many, as, as, as odd as my collecting habits tend to be, there are some, like, really fundamental things that I just don't have like i don't have a large ps2 collection i really don't have a very large ps1 collection 
I don't own an NES Advantage joystick. That's my favorite. Uh, my favorite one. My favorite go-to uh, is that I don't own an Advantage joystick. You know, there's there's just some fundamental things that my collection lacks. So no, I'm certainly not amassing everything. If I have room in my suitcase, I'm bringing you an Advantage at Portland. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but do you have a Max? No, no, I don't. All right. Okay. Uh, question for all three of you. What is your favorite color or archetype to play in Magic the Gathering? This is from Beverly Hills Gaming. Guys, make this quick, because I don't know how much anyone else cares about Magic. I'll go. Okay. Um, so I am the least seasoned Magic player here. Uh, I don't play digitally nor physically currently, uh, but I did play physically up until Fallen Empire. Uh, and Up until at- Fallen Empire. So you played Magic in the beginning. You don't get to say up to Fallen Empire. Fallen Empires, guys. Jeez, Johnny, you play anyway, magic. Uh, so the it's not the, even a set. The I, I, and I still have my deck somewhere. Uh, it's the only physical uh, deck that I have of magic currently, but it is a blue Merfolk deck. I really like Merfolk. So there you go, Tyler. Uh, blue is the only color in Magic that even matters. That is such a. I've got to knew you would say that. You, it is well. I've I've talked about it on the show how I I was thinking about buying like a gem mint Alpha Island because it's yeah. the best card in Magic. But uh, I played Legacy my whole life. I've really never played Standard. I played Standard around Mirrodin a little bit, but other than that, before and after, all I've played is Legacy. And in Legacy, if you don't have cards like Force of Will, if you don't have counter spells, if you don't have Stasis and Standstill and all those stupid cards, why are you even playing Magic? I like controlling well, the game. Well, that, that's changed a little bit, but um, yeah, Force of Will. Uh, you're telling me that card. Delver decks still aren't the best decks in Legacy? Um, Let's see. No, Delver is probably not the best deck in Legacy right now. Well, I mean, that goes back and forth. It depends on what the metagame is completely on Legacy. And now there was a bunch of new cards added in that have really kind of shooken things up. So who knows right now? Who so, knows? Well, what's uh, the best color, yeah. Johnny? Well, I'm not saying blue isn't the best color. Oh. I'm just saying there's more parity in the colors now than there ever has been before. Uh, if you ask me what the worst color is, I'd probably say white, um, just because wow. it 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 doesn't it doesn't do quite enough. It doesn't draw cards. Its removal is kind of questionable at times, even though it has path and swords. Anyways, I don't want to get too big into the magic thing. Do For I hemorrhaging have a, users? Yeah. Do I uh, do I have a favorite color? I I don't really have a favorite color blue black is probably my favorite color combination or blue black green because i like what those things do uh, especially together if i do have a favorite archetype and it's not good i do love to play competitive magic i love competitive drafts i'm i'm a fairly good drafter that doesn't mean like i'm a pro tour drafter or a mythic championship level drafter or anything but i am a competitive magic drafter so i like that a lot i though have a fun archetype I play when I'm not playing competitive, uh, constructed, and it's Mill, um, which surprises people because I'm. <laughs> it's like, surprising pretty, that you called it a fun archetype. Well, it's fun for me because I am so nuts and bolts, uh, like spiky when I play competitively. So to go and when I'm just, when I'm having fun or just goofing off, I pick up a Mill deck. Uh, it, it's crazy. I actually have a full foil mill deck, foil fetches and everything in there. It's it's a modern deck. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. Mill. There you go. Long-winded answer. Whew. So, uh, Off yeah. we go. If you don't know about mill, it's like one of the most hated strategies in all of Magic, and it's also bad. 
There you go. Uh, Nocturne Eric, and I don't actually know if he listens to the show or just posted for this. He is uh, one of the people I met through the Harry Potter book collecting. He's like a pretty big collector over there. Nice guy. Uh, Also a teacher. So shout out to him. Um, What is one thing you regret throwing away that you wish you still had? He does also play a lot of video games. He likes games a lot. Um, So it's a good question from him. So guys, what do you have that you threw away that you regret? Tyler. I've thrown almost nothing away. I I threw my uh, my Sega Genesis boxes. Those were kind of in the attic, and those got thrown away. But I didn't throw it away, so I don't know if that counts. The only video game thing I can remember physically placing into the trash is a Sega Pico, which uh, that's exactly where it belongs. So I'm going to say nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's the worst is that thing shots ever. Two, I was just two, like, I spent like $10 on this, and it's not worth the Pico space it takes up. All right. Wow. Stefan. Uh, I have an extremely visceral memory of throwing away my Earthbound box, actually. Uh, that was, yeah, that's awful. I, it makes me cringe every time I think about it. Yeah, but I but it, I was, uh, I don't know, 16, 17, and I threw it away thinking, who will ever care about these boxes? I swear to God. Uh, and uh, yeah, I threw away my Earthbound big box. Stupid. Yep, that's dumb. All right. Um, I haven't thrown much away that I regret. In fact, anything I threw away personally, I don't regret. Um, I'll say anything I ever sold to GameStop. That's basically like throwing things away. For I I remember I sold my Ogre Battle there um, for the PS1, and that made me real sad. So that's basically like throwing something away. But I, I lost stuff through like bad moves and having all of our stuff sit in storage and be sold off at storage auctions. I'm someone's sick haul. Um, my childhood is uh, from his storage locker. So I'm that kid. Uh, so I didn't really throw stuff away so much as lost them. And anything I've thrown away currently, I, I never regret uh, putting things in the garbage and having less stuff in my house because I own plenty of things. And it is nice to either donate or, or trash some stuff. I like we were talking about PC big boxes. I probably threw away a hundred PC big box games. Not threw away, but just took them to Goodwill and was not sad about them. Didn't miss them at all. All right, Galtus Kitchen. What are you guys going to have a collector's quest about GameCube? Hmm. Hey, Stefan. Probably yeah, next when week. When should Appar- we have that? <laughs> Apparently should we, soon. Should we do that soon, or should we yeah. wait for you to complete it? Apparently, we should do this soon. Uh, it it will I I know if in all likelihood I think it is unless unless uh, Tyler wants to really get on the ball for a Game Boy, uh, GameCube will likely be our next. So you collect. Uh, it I think was, it, it's on the list, but I also yeah. had another Sega console in mind. But we we'll we'll talk that through. I also had like doing a mini. So you want to collect for just PS One long boxes. Because that's uh, such a big set, I figured we could do a small episode on that. Because there's some interesting stuff to talk about specific just to that. Anyways, but it is on the docket, and maybe we'll push it forward, because now I know Stefan has a a greater interest in it right now. All right, VG Collectaholic asks, is there a cutoff point for your collection, era-wise? Do you collect all the current consoles, too? Stefan. Yeah, so uh, I have talked about this before. Um, I vehemently abhor uh big box collector's editions specifically that, well go ahead i was just gonna say how's that uh yeah dragon slayer yeah um or dragon slayer so, i should say um you know the the boutique limited run things aside how about that uh, you love I, those 
I I don't I, well, I'm more selective with that though. That's I'm not doing like a set for them. Like it's just like oh yeah, I I, I just, like Jack I'm and just Baxter. Just messing with you. Why are you acknowledging? Am, just act like I, I'm not talking to you. Anyway, so uh, so for a, an era from an era perspective, that really means that uh, original Xbox. PS2, GameCube, that's generally where I top out because, yes, there were some special editions, uh, collector's editions in those eras, but after that is when you get more and more toward the whole every game has a collector's edition, every other game has a statue. Last time I looked and saw someone actually do a full Xbox 360 set, their game room just looked like a GameStop, and it just was the least appealing thing ever to me. So as far as set collecting, uh, that's where it ends. But I do, you know, I still game, so I still have a you know a reasonable collection of Switch. I have a reasonable collection of PS4 stuff, especially I do buy a lot of the limited run things that interest me, and so those are generally on PS4. Um, so that that's typically where my cutoff is because I just don't want this game room to become a GameStop. Good answer. What about you, Tyler? Uh, for me personally, it's the Sega Saturn, and that's only because I don't like the Dreamcast, not because it's like a... There's some fundamental reason I don't like it. I think the last really cool console, Stefan, open up your ears, is the PS2, because I think the PS2 has such a crazy, vast library. It was so important. It's got so many games. It's got every genre represented 10 times more than any other console, and I think that's really interesting. And then right after you get... Right after the PS2, kind of every game is on every platform, except for some really high-end kind of exclusives that were basically purchased by the game companies. So I don't like modern collecting because everything's the same. Everything is basically a computer now. Forget all that. PS2 is the last interesting console for me, and I don't even collect that. So for me, it's just 80s, 90s. Okay. And 70s. Uh, for, yeah, for me, I, I cut off at Xbox as well, though I never say no to Nintendo. So I'm never going to collect PS3. I'm probably never going to collect more than like the allotted games I've already picked for PS2, like a, a chosen set. Like, But I'll do that for PS3 games too. Like they're just games I think are awesome. So I'll want to have them that are exclusive to that system. So I guess by that standard, I don't really have an era cutoff point. But for set collecting, yeah, definitely. Well, I can't even say that because I dabbled in Wii. And who knows, maybe I'll finish it one day. But yeah, like Xbox <laughs> is where I'd like to stop. By dabbled, he means like a thousand games. That's dabbling. <laughs> you know what's you know what's great is that Wii is no longer the console I own the most games for. So that feels good now. Now it's PlayStation One. Good job, Johnny. Yep. Thanks. Whew. Got out of that one. <laughs> um uh, all right. Janox, hey, we were just talking about you. Have you have you thought about selling it all? It's something that's been on my mind. Guys, have you thought about selling it all? I'll go first. Yeah, man, California Collection is for sale. <laughs> you bring your money, I'll bring you my time, and we will go through and we will price this baby. But bring a fat stack. But seriously, yeah, if you bring me enough money, you can take away my stuff. I'll help you pack it. I'll help you catalog it. I'll drive it. Whatever you need to happen. You want some of this? You can come take it all. Stefan? I would never say everything. I there, I have too much sentimental attachment to a few things in this room. There's a ton that I could sell, absolutely. Like, I could see myself 
paring down a lot if I decided to start breaking up sets. Uh, but as far as like somebody backing up a truck of money and me filling it with games, uh, I don't, I, I don't see that. I have, I have some severe sentimental attachment to a lot of things. And then there are some pieces that are just of historic value that I would need to be very, very particular about where they went for me to feel good about them leaving my hands. All right. Tyler. So. I buy games, I would say, a lot like Johnny in that I buy just a lot of games, and because I collect sets, a lot of them don't have value. And since I buy games like that, selling them would just be an enormous hassle. So I buy games with the full intention that I am never going to sell any of them, and my family is going to have to deal with this when they die. So pretty much not selling yep, anything that's probably ever. what. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen yep. uh, for me as well. But again, California Collection is for sale if someone really wants it. If you're out there and you're like, you think this is your investment opportunity, come talk to me. All right. I got stuff to, I could, I could pay some things off, like a mortgage on a second house that I want to buy. So that's the kind of money we're talking about. And he's really not kidding. I mean, that's how I got my Genesis set, you guys. Like, Look, they're um, games that they will come around again. I can buy them again. And I, that's the other thing. People are like, how could you do it? I enjoy buying games. I enjoy researching games. I can still do that again. Just because I sell something doesn't mean I can't buy it again. There's very few things in here that I'm like, well, if it went, I don't think I'd ever find it again. And if it did, well, then maybe that's just a challenge I would enjoy taking up. So there you go. Nope. You could, someone could come to me and say, like, I'll give you $90 for your complete copy of Donkey Kong Country. And I'd be like, I don't want to find one in nice condition again. I don't want to deal with maybe it's going to ship in a bubble mailer. I would just never do it. That's one game. But $90, what's Donkey Kong Country worth? 30 bucks? Like, that's a three times value. And I'd still be like, it's just not worth it to me to have to go track oh, that man. down again. Yeah. See, that's, you are not thinking about this correctly. <laughs> You're an insane person. All right. Um, the Potter Mom, which is funny because that's my wife, asks, who has spent the most money this year? Uh, is, is she, does she want the confirmation she that it's not it? you? Yeah, I was going to say, is she expecting it to be you? Uh, yeah, well, she always expects it to me because I'm like, every time I tell her, I'm like, Carly, you don't understand. I'm like pretty level-headed and pretty frugal. Other people are insane. So <laughs> you don't understand the insanity that's happening in this world. And she's like, mm-hmm. Like, you know, Carly, she's great. She doesn't care that I collect games. She enjoys that I have a hobby. Uh, she's out there watching our, you know, our seven-month-old son right now while I come and do a podcast because she knows I enjoy it. She sacrifices her time so I can do things like this. She's great. She, this is mostly her poking fun at me because I always say, I'm not the one on the podcast spending the most money, I promise. Okay, so we did some napkin math uh, before the show and Carly, <laughs> you yeah, we did. Johnny and I did. Oh, okay. Because it was because it was going to be down to me and Johnny, and so no, we did I don't some... think so. I think Tyler spends a lot more than me actually too. I don't talk about anyway. like ninety percent of the stuff I buy because I'm honestly embarrassed of how much I buy. <laughs> <laughs> That's th like when I say I only bought one thing this episode. Like I mean that when I say that. So I, th I think Tyler's ahead of me too. I think what clinched it, though, I think we all agreed that it was me. So, Carly, I'm, I'm, we're fairly certain that it was me. Um, and it's, it was all down to the Nintendo World Championships cart. Like, I know everyone, or not everyone, but there was a, a vocal minority who thinks that I get these things for free or cheap, and I don't. 
Um, so I did spend a significant amount of money on that Nintendo World Championships cart, and that fell and into this year. it was still cheap, and then one, I'm going to say, in similar condition, sold for $40,000? Maybe it was yep. a slightly better condition, but still. Yeah, I, I did not pay going right. Unbelievable. Clearly, but... But uh, that, I think, that puts me head and shoulders above the other two here. Yeah. But, well, like, let's let's subtract that. Let's say on let's say on an average month, like, because that's this year, and that, that's hard. On an average month, who do you think spends more? Because I, I know, like, we all go through months where it's like, well, I just went hard this month, and I just spent a couple thousand dollars, and you guys did nothing because you were in a holding pattern or something. So what do you guys think if we broke it down to a month? It's on an Stephen. average month because he buys like all this weird, like one of a kind stuff. But I don't pay. I. It's not like I'm. Like yes, I spend significant amounts of money on the stuff, but it's but it's not. I think people look at the like when I show something that's like rare, right? Like the that chunk of the Nintendo building. I think people look at that and go like, oh, he probably spent ten thousand dollars on that. I didn't like just because these things are historically significant does not equate to dollar value. Rare but not expensive, right? Um, in fact, I'm I'm not shy about saying some of my favorite things. You know, when I buy these things, my my favorite finds are things that no one else cares about, or I feel like no one else would care about. So uh, I I don't I don't spend nearly as much on the stuff that I buy as I think a lot of people assume that I do. Tyler, would you think maybe it's you? Like, I mean, at least recently, because you buy you've been buying some um, some of your favorite stuff. Like I know this has kind of been in. I mean, maybe like, uh, I, Stephen, I, the stuff Stefan buys. You've been buying, but you've been buying a lot of cardboard too. I, I've been going real, real as hard as I possibly can, but like not a lot of super high end stuff. Like I'd say, because I've been so focused on a couple sets for a couple years before this, like my average game would be like maybe fifteen to twenty dollars. And this year, I've been like, oh my god, I got to get all the cardboard before there's no more cardboard. So my average game now is probably like seventy five to a hundred dollars, but. I'm not buying like Stefan levels of stuff. I don't think, but yeah, I've been. I think that would be interesting. I- I've done an episode where I broke down what I spent in a year, and it was an embarrassing amount of money um, for video games. I think it'd be interesting if uh, we cataloged it for like a month. If we just said, okay, like just like because we can pretty much go to eBay for most of our stuff and just say, all right, who did it? Who spent more in the last thirty days? So it's uh it's funny. I, I was thinking of some of the higher end stuff that I bought kind of recently, and I'm like, well, I got Donkey Kong competition, I got Star Fox Super Weekend, I got Arrow Fighters, and I'm like looking all these up. I'm like, oh, I bought those all last year in the same month. That was an expensive month. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what like, I said. It varies well, month to month. Yeah, I think I think like like Johnny said, it's it's incredibly spiky. <laughs> our buying habits are very very spiky, especially especially at this point in our collections where we will go into these droughts because we frankly have a, a lot of stuff, and so the the uh, the guardrails that that we work in get you know tighter and tighter. So there'll be months where I don't find anything that I need and then I'll find a bunch of stuff or like this month somebody dropped you know a, a, a large uh, purchase in my lap and I was not expecting that so it's just it's super all over the place okay um, so that's our answer to that question Carl you see it wasn't me that's the important <laughs> part um, guys that's all the questions thank you guys so much for submitting those we like doing those. We hope you learn something from these two. Like it, it people are like, oh, mailbag episode. That's like cop out. 
I think they're interesting. One, it helps us connect to people who actually listen to us because we have an idea of what people want to know, but it's nice to hear exactly what you want to know and then use those moments to kind of teach and expand a little bit. You know, keeps on our theme of informing collectors. So I, I hope you guys enjoy that too. We don't do them very often, maybe once a quarter. You know, this is what I don't like to do it more than that. So that's that. Hope you enjoyed that part. Let's move on to... Um, Oh my God! The there's second more to this part show. of the show. Jeez. I know it's so long. <laughs> I know so long. So let, let's be brief. Um, who won collecting this week? Which is basically the "What did we buy?" Uh, portion of the show. Tyler, what'd you buy? Uh, I got a super nice Capcom Empire Strikes Back for Game Boy. Which, uh, as I was editing the show last week, I realized that we mentioned that, and that you said that was the copy to buy. Uh, it had nothing to do with that, though. Um, Limited Run Games was coming out with Empire Strikes Back on Game Boy, and I'm like, I gotta buy that, because I feel really stupid buying high-priced limited editions of games that are reissues of originals that you can get for cheaper, because collecting reprints and collecting uh, remasters is is dumb. They're not collectible. I talked about that with Grim Fandango, so I would have felt dumb buying that if I didn't have the original Empire Strikes Back. And then I went and I spent $300 on limited run game Star Wars reissues last Friday. Ew, gross. Why? So, uh, you know how much I love Star Wars and I just won't do it. I won't do it. Well, they look like an Etsy purchase. I can't do it. Yep. uh, That, I I felt really bad doing it. Like I kind of, as I was buying it, I was like, oh man, $300 for these three games. I I was kind of just like wishing they would space them out like maybe once a month so it wouldn't feel so bad buying them. But there's only six of them. There's only one left now. Oh my God. Well, you'll have them all. Uh, All right. No, you want to, let's get into the stuff you really want to talk about though, Johnny. Uh, I got Frostbite for the Atari 2600, which is a a pretty uncommon Activision game. That's giving you chills. Really never see that one. And uh, I upgraded my copy of Pitfall 2, which I'm pretty sure I bought last week. This is the kind of stuff I don't talk about, and I've started doing it all the time, where I will buy uh, two copies of a game just in case one. I'll buy two copies of a game in like similar condition, and then I will pick the better one. Uh, I've done this. I bought three copies of Tyson's Punch-Out recently. I bought two Super Mario RPGs. I bought two Super Mario Worlds. Uh, I've been doing it a lot. Johnny, as awful as we think he is, he's worse. Uh, I just also arriving today, I just bought two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on NES. And I bought a Canadian Super Mario 3. How about that? Why? Uh, It was a lowball bid. I just kind of threw out there. It was $25 shift. I'm like, all right, I'll take a Mario 3 from Canada for 25 bucks. Why not? Yeah, well, who cares about that? But Tyler, stop doing that. Buy one, and then if it doesn't come in nice condition, buy another one. Or buy two, and then I don't have to worry about finding and then another have one. Re- and then have an extra... I mean, please start selling your doubles, you crazy person. I want to trade them. My trade stuff is always terrible, but now I'm going to have all like the trade what? stuff that everybody wants. See, this is like... <sighs> also, don't PM me asking if I have stuff for trade, because my stuff's only for trade when you have something I really want, like some Activision Tyler. Atari games. Tyler, were you secretly always like this, or is this just new because no. you're all paranoid because of the new the new collector oh, I'm wave? I'm so paranoid of the new collector people buying 100 copies of every... Buying every copy of uh, Sonic? Like, we can corner the market on Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes, I'm scared of the collector people when it comes to cardboard. All right, retro community, listen up. You're ruining my friend. I'm only buying two Stop copies. It. I'm not buying every copy. 
I don't, I don't know what to do about this, Johnny. Um, there's nothing to do, man. You, we just I'll just let, I'll just go back alone. to pretending I only buy like silly Japanese games. This is this is going to turn into like an episode of intervention. It, it is on the next episode <laughs> of intervention. We can well, you know what, Tyler? You're prepping not for this coming Portland show, the next one, where we're going to have to get a table, and uh, it'll be the collector's quest booth where you just make a ton of money. No, what you think I'm selling any of this, Johnny? These are prime investments, and we're all going to be millionaires. Okay, I look forward to that Portland show where you're selling everything. I'm going to help you. Like, Ada's always mad at us, but she should know how much we're trying to help you. Right. Well, yeah, we're not doing this to him. Yeah. There's a lot more copies of Empire Strikes Back. Should I buy them all? No, stop. No, I'm, I'm, I don't do it with Game Boy games, because who cares about Game Boy? Come on. I do. I care about Game Boy games so much. Anyways, um, Stefan. Yes. You want to talk about your thing or should I go ahead and go? Sure. No, I can talk about my thing. So I've been sort of tiptoeing around it all episode. Uh, and this, again, uh, I am super, super fortunate that I have a a base that tends to bring me things that I'm not expecting. And uh, and he said he he said I could mention his name. Uh, our friend friend of the show, Padawan Collectibles, uh, recently texted me and asked me if I would like to buy a GameCube set, or rather, it's about ninety percent of the GameCube set. Uh, and and I I took him up on that offer. So that's going to be delivered in the next couple days. Uh, it's missing after like the handful of games that I actually already had. I, I added it to it, and it's like something like 75 games that it's missing. So apart from 75 games, I have a GameCube set now, and um, so that was that was my big purchase of the week. Um, we came to terms that we were both happy with, and that's that. Cool. Good on you. Uh, anything yeah. else you want to mention? Any any unique one of a kind pieces of Nintendo? Um, any uh, any executives you've collected bio waste from or anything? <laughs> no, I did go to San Diego Comic Con with Heather and got some stuff signed, um, and the, uh, and that was cool. A bunch of games signed, uh, so that's all up on my Instagram. You can check that out. Nice. Um, okay, what did I buy? I bought just a few things. Um, I bought a Turtles two for Game Boy. I've been buying a few Game Boy games here and there. I got an Altered Space Game Boy game. I I also bought Turtles 3 on Game Boy. So that's that's a thing I did. As much as I don't like portables, I do love collecting Game Boy games. I love them. I just the the size and everything is perfect to me. I just think they're the best. Um but they are prohibitively expensive and difficult and always damaged. So that's hard. Anyways, I'm really excited about this Turtles 2 and 3 uh because they've been on my list for a long time and I just decided I'm like, you know what? These are Game Boy games I should have, and plus, I hate having incomplete sets, so I have, like, the original Turtles, but not 2 and 3, and that just bothers me. The other big thing that finally came in the mail, and I'm super pumped for this, and here's how I lose collecting this week, because no one cares. I got Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone from Canada, yeah, for the Game Boy Color. So, I, I, I mentioned this story before, but... The Harry Potter games, Sorcerer's Stone, America only, and that it's on PlayStation, Game Boy Color, and GBA. All the other systems, it's Sorcerer's Stone in all of North America. But US only, it's Sorcerer's Stone for those three systems. 
go to Canada and they got copies that were the Philosopher's Stone. So PlayStation 1, GBA, and the Game Boy Color one, which has been elusive. These are much rarer, and they're always like, for some reason, this game is like a $5, $10 complete in box game in the US. I don't think people understand that there's a distinction between them, but you go try and get it from Canada, there's like $30, and then there, that'll be a $10 or $18 shipped or something stupid. So I've been I've been waiting to like find a reasonable priced one from Canada, and I did, and it came. It's actually in beautiful condition. I was like with the guy, I'm like, please put this in a box or flatten it, please. I don't want to have to try and find another one of these. Uh, for a game that wasn't even very much money. And it, it came after so much waiting because it was from Canada. And it's beautiful and I'm excited for it. And I'm going to post it on July 31st because I'm a nerd. And that's Harry Potter and, and JK's birthday. So that's what I'm going to do. I, I've done like a whole month of Harry Potter or in like a whole week usually. But today or this time I'm just going to keep it down to these three games on July 31. Johnny, what's the... Because now, now that I know that you're doing this, because you've been hiding your shame from us, uh, what's the what's the what do craziest you mean, hiding my shame? What's the craziest book that you've picked up since uh, <laughs> you guys started that? Oh, uh, no, we're not hiding it. Like she's got it fully displayed in her office and everything. You just haven't been over in a while. Yeah. Come over and check it out. Uh, let's see. We bought a signed copy of Sorcerer's Stone. Nice. Uh, and that was like a 1999 signature, which uh, so. It her signature changes through time. Ninety nines aren't actually that hard to find, and actually, Sorcerer's Stone is one of the easier. It's not like an early print Sorcerer's Stone. It's like a thirtieth print or whatever. So okay. it's not like a rare copy of it. But um, it is a signature, and we spent uh, three hundred dollars on it, and it was the most annoying three hundred dollars I've spent in a long time <laughs> because it was a stupid eBay deal, and the guy was local. So I was like, okay. Let's, uh, let's, you know, you just live in Reseda. How about I just meet you and pick this up from you? And I was like, okay. And I got, like, I agree to meet him at a Starbucks and it's fine. Uh, we get there and he's like, ooh, do you have cash? And I'm like, no, dude, this is an eBay purchase that you said had to be PayPal. That was like the term. So I have to complete it through there or, or it'll never register for both of us. I mean, I could have done it, but also I like the security of that. You know, sure. yeah, it was yeah, so got you. Back. I would never do that as a seller. Are you kidding me? Sell a high end thing and then have no shipping? Well, yeah. I mean, maybe like maybe he would have been better off doing that. Um, but anyways, he's like, okay, cool. Um, I'm like, all right, PayPal'd you done. But his he hadn't done that much selling, so it immediately held the payment. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I'm like, he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm like. I don't know. It's going to clear. I'm like, look at my feedback. I got like 2,400 feedback or whatever. And it's like, perfect. Like, I'm good for this. Like, I like all of my shit says I'm credible. You're the one who is of a questionable nature. And then, so like, we had to go through this whole thing. Cancel the payment. And it's like on a Saturday. So like, getting through to PayPal was kind of a pain. And then he was like, oh, I don't know. And it was getting like real sketchy and weird. I'm like, I'm like, is this a counterfeit or something? Like, what are you, what are you being so squirrely about, guy? And then he, you know, he was getting a little rude. And I was just like, you aren't the only person selling this book. Like, there's a pl- there's plenty of these. And then, like, we had to cancel everything. And then I had to go to an ATM just, like, to get this done with to pay him, right? So I go to an ATM. And, of course, we're not at my bank or anything. So there's a stupid daily limit. I go in there. It's like, nope, you can't. It's like, or it was like $250. I'm like, really? 
or two hundred sixty dollars. I'm like, that's my limit at this weird machine. I'm like, I can go pull out like a thousand dollars, no problem. Like this is this is not. It's not like it's nothing to me, but that's not that much money. You know, two hundred fifty dollars isn't that much. So then I had to be like, okay, look, it only allows me to pull out this much from this ATM. I don't know because it's like one of these weird ATMs in like a shitty strip mall in Reseda. I'm like, uh. Look, I'm going to PayPal you personally the last $40. And then he got like really weird about that. He's like, how do I know this is good? I'm like, I mean, I don't know, guy. Now you're not going to, you get to cancel the transaction. You don't have to pay any fees. If you're worried about it, that's going to cover most of it, I guess. But that's going to go through. You're going to be fine. And then he got like real weird. He's like, you can't touch the book until uh, I've got the money. And I was like, he must have been in a position where he thought I was the shady one. You know, and mm-hmm. three hundred dollars was a more significant amount of money to him than it was to me. Anyways, so it was it was really annoying, and it was hot out, and like wife and baby were in the car, and I'm just like, come on, guy, like this is taking entirely too long, and you're a f-ing jerk about it, and I'm tired of it. So yeah. Anyways, that's like the most we spent on it. We bought a cool. Um, so in Vietnam, they had through book five. They had like they were like little soft covers and they were like comic styles, but each book was broken into like six or seven like comic style books, like mangas. Mm-hmm. And they all have like individual illustrations that you've never seen before. It's like really really weird. Sounds like you're getting so, pretty deep into this. Um, it is my wife, so this these are all in her office. We've bought some like cool stuff though. Mostly she just buys hardcovers of the regions she thought was cool, and I think she's like coming to a point where she's like, Yeah, I think I've got everything I want. Maybe a couple more uh from like weird regions. She's got like but some of them are very expensive. Some are like a thousand dollars. There's like a weird one where uh someone's wearing it. Or Dumbledore's got like a top hat or something. I can't remember who's got the top hat, but it's a weird cover. She wants that one. Anyways, there, there's all the info no one gave a shit about that you can probably edit out of the show. Cool. I'm interested. So, why, yeah, Stefan, you can come over and, and check it out. It Like, she's got a ton of books now. Cool. So, Crazy. All right. That's it. Guys, anything else? No? Cool. Where can we find you, Stefan? Archon1981 on Instagram and YouTube and Nintendo Age. Tyler? I'm playing Divinity, but I didn't want to talk about it anyway. But uh, I'm default gen, default gen, in all those places. We weren't going to make you talk about Divinity uh, anymore, Tyler, and we know it's ruining your life. It is. <laughs> Over 100 hours. You've got a lot of- Can't wait for it to end. Oh, God. Um, I'm Johnny underscore Iucci. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y underscore I-U-C-C-I. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for giving us your ratings and reviews. We have been appreciating that. We saw, like, a little bump. We're almost to 100. The push to 100 reviews on iTunes. I, I don't know if there's a, like a badge for that, but I feel like that's a, a threshold. It'll hit there'll, triple digits. There'll be a, a badge in our heart. Yes. So if you haven't left a review, please do. I See, I'm asking at the end of the show because we're so close to the 100 marker. There's like a few milestones for collector stone, collector stone, Collector's Quest that I've always wanted to hit. And uh, that 100 review mark on iTunes is one that... I've had my my heart set on for a long time. I didn't ever expect to make it that far. So uh, now that we're getting close, I'm excited. So that's it. All right, guys. Thanks. Bye.